Well, we did it. We did it. This is the lowest attended Sunday across America because this thing exists that shouldn't called Daylight Saving, but we did it. We made it. Yes. Let's give ourselves. That's right. We did it. We don't let an hour loss of sleep keep us in bed. We did it. I'm so glad we're here together. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And you are not drowsy seeing rabbits. You are alert. And I'm going to keep it my mission to help you stay alert. We're going to get through this together. If you've got to stand up, do it. All right? We're going to get through this. Uh, we're here this morning. We are gathered together because I believe that we all live our lives with a soundtrack. I believe every single person in this room constantly throughout their day is living with a soundtrack. Now, I'm not talking about music necessarily, though we all do have a soundtrack. You know, I remember being a young 23-year-old man riding in a car with a beautiful woman, and a song comes on the radio. Butterfly in Reverse by Counting Crows. Huh? huh? Any 90s folks? No? Hmm? Well, you're missing out, but I remember the sun is setting over the canyon. I just look at this beautiful woman, and I'm like, I think I love her. And that song just, whoosh, right? It's part of my soundtrack now. And, you know, we, we, when we still listen to that song, it just brings back those memories. I, you know, I remember being in high school, and I heard the song, All the Small Things by Blink-182, and I said, I'm going to be a punk rocker. I'm going to play guitar, and I'm going to rock people's socks off, and man, that's going to be me. And look, you can't, can't look back and change the story and make it cooler, okay? I wish it was like all along the watchtower. It wasn't, all right? It was all the small things. I'm not talking about that kind of soundtrack, though, though that's significant and important. Uh, according to the writer John Acuff, we have these moments throughout our day, these soundtracks that are constantly narrating our experience. Let me give you some examples. Let's say you pray for the salvation of a loved one, someone that you know doesn't know Jesus, and you've been praying. Nothing happens. The soundtrack starts. Cancer, you get that call, awful, terrible news. You start praying, God, heal this cancer. There's no healing. The soundtrack starts. You're unemployed. You're really tired of looking through Indeed all day long. You're really sick of going to parties and people saying, what do you do? You're like, I leave conversations like this. And you pray, God, you just provide a job. Please. I just, I want to provide for people I love. Please provide a job. The soundtrack starts. There's situations where we do things, and that's good things, right? Praying for the salvation of someone you love and care for. Pray that they meet Jesus. Doesn't happen. Oh, man. It's probably because I haven't prayed for the past few months. Probably if I'd prayed harder. I may not be praying right. That's your soundtrack. The cancer hasn't been cured. The, the soundtrack starts. Maybe I did something? Maybe God's punishing me? Maybe, maybe this is, I'm supposed to get this? Maybe I'm missing the point? Soundtrack. 
You still don't have a job. Ah, I'm not working hard enough. God, God will answer my prayer when I work harder. I've got to do something more. Soundtrack. And it's not just in prayer, too. It's like things that we can do, right? So like we can, there's, there's moments that we have. There's things that we do where we try to step out in righteousness, right? Like, so maybe it's at work, and there's like a, a coworker that you work with who's not a life-giving person. There's a lot of toxicity in the office. And you're like, oh, man, I'm going to try to really patiently and gently step into this situation. And it explodes. And you get results you don't like. The soundtrack starts. Maybe it's a friend that you're trying to care for. And you've been really like listening. You've been attuning. You hear their struggle. And you're like, man, I think I can speak life into this situation. And you, you get advice from friends. How can I share this in a way that doesn't seem judgy, that I seem like I get my friend? Okay, you do all those things. And you share with your friend. And they still say, you're just trying to control me. The soundtrack starts. We spend a lot of energy with these soundtracks. That soundtrack is playing in our heads from the moment we wake up to the moment we sleep. That soundtrack colors and informs our day. We're constantly interpreting our day through the messages that we tell ourselves. That soundtrack. Man, if I just, if I just not, if I've been more faithful in praying for that friend, man, I probably did something wrong. Those soundtracks. The Gospel of John was written to blow up our soundtracks. The Gospel of John was written to say, oh, but there's another speaker. And the soundtrack that we get replaced with, he takes away our old soundtrack, that narrative of how we make sense of our, the story that we're telling ourselves, that old soundtrack, he takes that away. And he gives us a new soundtrack. And the beauty that we're going to see today is that soundtrack is a person. Instead of going through our day and interpreting, man, if I just prayed harder, man, there's something wrong with me. I'm not doing this right. Man, if I just work more, everything that has in common is I'm on my own. I've got to figure this out to get God's attention. I have done something wrong, and I've got to make that right. I am not alone. That is a new soundtrack that John chapter 1 is giving us. John chapter 1 makes a Charles Manson-level crazy claim about you and me. Like, I'm scared to say it because, like, man, this is wrong. Holy cow. But it is very clear in John's gospel. John is saying this. You and I, you and I, because of Jesus, can be one with God. One with God. So the soundtrack that is narrating our lives how it's just the messages we're telling ourselves, that gets replaced with a person who goes through our lives with us and says something different about us and our experiences. That's John chapter 1. We're taking a little bit of a break from the metaphor that John has been using about marriage that the gospel of John is written for us to enter into a spiritual marriage, that Jesus is saying, hey, will you pledge me your fidelity? 
We're, we're, we're leaving that for a couple weeks to look at this other metaphor that John uses. That's background, but it's super central. This idea that we can be one with God. You and I can be one with God because Jesus joyfully offers oneness with God without reservation. Without reservation, Jesus is joyfully saying, I am one with God. The relationship I have with God from eternity past, you can have that type of relationship with me. That's Manson-esque crazy if it's not true. Jesus is saying this from eternity past. I've known God. I've delighted in God. I've been with God. I've been deeply united with God in joy, in purpose. We're together. And now I come to say, hey, you can have that with me, the one true God. So we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. A couple things I got to say before we get there. The gospel writers all start their gospels differently. So, you know, you think back to Matthew, he starts with the birth of Jesus Luke starts with the birth of John the Baptist. John starts with the beginning of the world. You're like, man, he's thorough, right? He's just going all the way back. What he's trying to do is give us a different soundtrack to say, hey, the story that you're living in, the story that you're telling yourself, how we're making sense of the world, there's another perspective out there. And that perspective is that you were made to know and be with God. You were made to be one with him. You were not made to go through this life alone. That's why it's hard to be lonely. You were made for relationship. You were made for connection. You're a, you are an eternal spiritual being. And the only fill for an eternal spiritual being is an eternal spiritual God. And we can be one with that God. The relationship Jesus has with the Father, he offers to us. So if you have a Bible, we're in John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. It's unusual. It's different. A lot of uh, New Testament scholars have tried to make sense of it because it's different than how most letters in this time start. Most letters will start by kind of like, like uh, what do they call them? Like Easter eggs, you know, in movies. They'll, like, they'll lay all these Easter eggs. Like, hey, this book is going to be about all these things. Okay, so pay attention. I'm going I'm to say this word in verse 1, and then like chapter 5, you're going to get that word again. You're like, wow, whoa. John like lays some Easter eggs. We'll talk about that. But he introduces a lot of stuff that he abandons and never talks about through the rest of the book, right? Like, in the beginning was the word. You're like, oh, Jesus is the, a word. Okay, what does that mean? And he never talks about it in the rest of the book. You're like, bro, what are you doing? That's led some New Testament scholars to believe that John wrote his gospel starting in what we call verse 19, and he was just reading it and editing it, and going through it. And he just bursts it out in praise. It was like, man, this is who Jesus is. And he writes what we call verses 1 through 18, that this is just an overflow of the joy he has with Jesus. Man, this is who God is, and this is what he's offering. And bah! I have no idea if that's true. There's really no way we can know that. But I do think there's a lot of truth to that. I do think it's very clear, as John is meditating on who Jesus is. And not just thinking about Jesus, 
But if we really are one with God, now we can think with Jesus. Do you hear the difference? Christians don't just think about Jesus. We think with Jesus because we're one with Jesus. He's thinking with Jesus, and just out of the overflow of praise, we get 1, 1 through 18. So if you would, please stand with me while we read God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Oh, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light shines in darkness. Darkness cannot overcome it. And that's kind of a a pun. Like the light shines in darkness and a a good word is comprehend it. Like take it over. we, We don't get it and we can't overpower it. Amazing. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Ah, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the power, the authority to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or the will of man, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. God, I need your help. We don't want to do this without you. And we're not doing this without you. God, expand our awareness. Help us rewrite these soundtracks. God, we're not alone. We're united to you. God, help us to see that reality that you're with us, you're for us, and you're coming after us. Ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I don't like to do this, but I just want to be crystal clear. I don't want to be misunderstood. I think this is too good to just like leave the chance of like, I hope I remember to say everything. So I'm going to do something I, again, do not like to do, but I'm giving you my outline. 
All right? There you go. Here's where we're going today. This is it. All right? So let's talk about point number one on an outline. You got to get through all the points, all right? Point number one, Jesus has a unique relationship to the Father. Please look with me at verse 14 again. The Word, we'll talk about that in a second, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is important. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. In between those verses we just read, we heard about this guy called Moses. Moses is essentially Spider-Man, Michael Jordan, and George Washington wrapped into one person for the first century Jew. He is the bee's knees. He is our hero. Ain't nobody better than Moses. Moses can do it all. Moses is the man. Why are we talking about Moses? Because in Exodus 33, as Moses is leading the children of Israel into the promised land, they've stopped at Sinai, and he's talking to God. And he's saying, God, I don't want to do this without your presence. Man, you need to be with us. If you're not with us, we're not going any further. He literally says that. And God says, I agree. All right? I'm going to be with you. And Moses says, good. How am I going to let these people know that you're with me? Oh, you should do something cool so they know, like, man, Moses was with God. How about you let me see your face? And God says, no. But you can see my back. Moses, who is Spider-Man, Michael Jordan, and George Washington, lumped into one person. He's the hero of all heroes. He's the bee's knees. He cannot see God's face. He can't. He can't. He has to see his back. It's too much. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Moses may not have been able to see his face, but this one has. Jesus has a unique relationship to God the Father. It's unlike anything ever. Uh, the great St. Augustine once said, the Trinity, that's what we're talking about here, the Trinity, if you try to, uh, if, you, if you deny it, you lose your soul. If you try to explain it, you lose your mind. That's what we're going to try to do a little bit today. Look at verse 1 with me again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That implies differentiation. There's Word, there's God. The Word's with God. In order to be with someone, there has to be a little bit of a differentiation. Okay, got it. Two gods, right? Mm-mm. The word was God. Okay? There's integration and differentiation. Jesus is not a God, as in God the Father is trying to rule the world and he meets somebody else at a, like a God convention. It's like, hey, we're kind of doing similar things. Let's join up. There's a deep unity that has existed forever between Jesus and his Father. And there's a spirit. We'll meet the spirit later. There is a deep unity here. They are one. And John's trying to say, Jesus is not like Moses, right? Moses, he, I mean, he's a big deal, right? He's Spider-Man, Michael Jordan, and George Washington. He's our hero. But look what it says about Moses. Here's what it says this. 
It says this in verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Right? Here's what he says. Moses can't originate anything. This is, this life is just pouring out of Jesus. Jesus is God. Capital G-O-D. All right? Christians for all times have always believed that. And if you don't believe that, we love you, but you're just not within the tent. This is not Christianity. We worship Jesus as capital G-O-D. All right? He, he's the source. And he has this unique relationship with God, right? Like Moses says, show me your glory. And then when Jesus gets on the scene, here's what John says about him. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So Moses says to Yahweh, I want to see your glory. And Jesus is like, I'll show you my glory. We're like, what's happening? Jesus is Yahweh. He is God full stop. And he has come to show us his glory. That's what John means in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is joyfully offering us oneness with God without reservation. Why, how do we know that? It's from this word, word. The Greek word for word is logos. Remember, John is not writing to 21st century Colombians. He's writing to 1st century Greco-Roman folks and folks with Jewish backgrounds. The logos for someone with that background means something different than it does to us today. I would never call someone a word. Well, this is my really good friend. Oh, man, they're like a great listener, and they're also a word. You're like, what? It's okay to just say, I don't know what that means. That's odd. What John is using, he's wrapping up all three meanings of this to say, Jesus is trying to make God known. Word, for the Jewish mind, it's communication. We can't communicate without words. Yes, sometimes we use things like American Sign Language. We, we write things down. We point but when we communicate, we're trying to communicate messages. We're trying to say like, hey, I need something to be known. Jesus is saying this, I'm the word. I am communication from God. Oh, it really bums me out and it really makes me super sad that preaching is confusing. And it makes me sad when preaching is boring. I truly believe it's a sin to make the Bible boring. Bible is not boring. That preacher is boring. Okay? What happens when we, when we make the Bible boring, when we like act like it's like this like austere thing that's just often, you know, you need to go to seminary to really understand it. Well, what we're communicating is like God's hard to understand. But thank God I'm here. Because I'll let you know. I'll let you know he's hard to understand. And you need me. No, no, no. When Jesus says, I'm the word, he's like, I'm easy. I'm easy to find. I'm here. I'm available. I want you to know me. That's why he called himself the word. He's trying to communicate. He's saying, know me. This unique relationship Jesus has with the Father, he's joyfully offering. Like we said, John chapter 1, you can't understand it without the rest of the books. If we flip ahead to John chapter 17, listen to this. Do you know Jesus prayed for you? Did you know that when he was alive? Jesus of Nazareth prayed for you and me. He said this, my prayer is not for them alone. To them is the disciples. He's about to be betrayed and his tw the 11 are hanging out. And he said, I'm not just praying for these 11. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus prayed for you. It's amazing. What did he pray for you? Here we go. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us. Do you hear that? Just as you are in me and I in you, may they be in us. This unique relationship Jesus has with the Father, he is offering to us. How do we experience it? How do we experience this unique relationship he's offering? When we love Jesus, he makes us one with God. So how do we experience this unique relationship? Look at verse 12. If you read the Hebrew Bible, you would be aware that God has a son. That son's name is Israel. God comes to that son. That's what verse 11 says. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. The metaphor for marriage gets mixed around a little bit throughout the book. And we get this idea of sonship. That God is offering us a unique role. He's saying, hey, I'm Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. We've existed forever in a joyful, harmonious relationship of love, peace, joy. Come on in. I want you in this. How do we get in there? We love him. Love is the door into this relationship. You're like, that says receive. I, I want to receive him. Well, let's, uh, somebody else asked Jesus that question. How do people get into this, this trinity? How do they get into the joy of the, knowing you, God? Uh, Judas is the guy's name who asks it. And John is really clear. It's like, not bad news bear Judas, okay? Not that one. He's going to say it. All right, here we go. But Judas asked that question. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, all right? The other one said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world. So you're the word, right? How can we know you and not everybody else does? It's a great question. It's a great question. God, like you said you came to be the light to all people. How come not everybody knows you? The answer to this question is something I still wrestle with. I heard it said a few weeks ago in a really succinct way that, oh, it created a wrestling within me for weeks. Here's the answer. How come not everybody knows? God comes where he's wanted. Oh, that's... But I've prayed and God hasn't showed up. I'm not saying... Please hear me clearly. I'm not saying that if we pray for good things, like the cure for cancer, or a loved one to meet Jesus, or that job, and we don't get it, I'm not saying it's because you didn't love God. No, 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 no. We're not, talking about, we're not talking about how he works. We're talking about the relationship itself. God comes where he's wanted. That's, what Jesus, that's how he answered. Listen to how Jesus answers the question. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus says this, the word, how I reveal myself, how I make myself known. If you love me, you'll know me. Love. That's what it means to receive in John chapter. To everyone who receives, they get this. Right? What's the opposite of receiving? Rejecting. No, thank you. 
But when we love Jesus, he makes himself known to us. God comes where he's wanted. That's good news. I want God. I'm scared of what that would look like. Oh, man, he moves towards you. Why? Because you want him. And he always comes where he's wanted. I don't think you're here this morning by mistake. I think you're here this morning because God's moving towards you. And God's saying, look, I want to rewrite your soundtrack. I want to rewrite that narrative. Like, you have to do more. You have to submit more. You have to try harder. And I want to say, I want to move towards you in love. Am I wanted? That's the invitation. Jesus is joyfully offering us this oneness with God. He's saying, look, I want to make God known. I'm not a disobedient son. That's a metaphor that runs through John's gospel. Jesus as a son. He's saying, I'm not working against God. I'm working with God. I want to make him known. So Jesus has this unique relationship to the Father. They're one. They've always enjoyed that joy. They know each other. There's differentiation and integration. When we love Jesus, we get welcomed into that oneness. We're one with God. And that oneness changes our identity, our story, and our soundtrack. Look at this again. All who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right. We live in a democracy where you have to fight for your rights. This was not written in the same world, all right? The mindset that Jesus, that John is writing to us here is is the the way that Greco-Roman homes worked, there was a pater familia, okay? And again, I'm just reading the mail. I'm just telling you how this was. This is how it was. I'm not saying this how it should be. This is just how it was. There was a pater familia, a man who was the head of his household, okay? So we think today, you might think, oh, okay, well, Amy and I, I would be the pater familia, and then we've got Jet, Bowie, and Shepard. That's, no, actually, that's not, I wouldn't be the pater familia. Jim and Bonnie, Jim would be the pater familia, and in this family would be Dana, Mike, Jen, Craig, Jasmine, Kelly, Nate, and Sarah. I hope I didn't forget anybody. All right, I come from a big family. Adults were still under the head of the household. And the head of the household could make decisions for the whole household. So when Jesus says things, like in John, I believe it's John chapter 12, John chapter 5, he says, I don't do anything on my own. He's saying this. He's saying, I'm not like a bad son who's like, hey guys, hey, 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 just real quick. Okay, I just came from heaven. It's awesome there. You definitely want to be there. You can't be there because the big guy doesn't want you to be there. So listen to me. We'll like work some stuff out. And then if you listen to me, we'll get you in there. But don't tell him we said that. And hopefully by the time you're in there, everything works out great, okay? (sighs) That's not what's happening here. Jesus is going public with the love that he had with the Father before the creation of the world, and God wants you to experience that. That's why John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God wrote himself into our story. He moved 
toward us. And he's saying, I want to know you. And we're like, but I'm really, I'm, really, me? Yes, you. The invitation that Jesus is making, he's making it with joy. John 17. In John 17, when Jesus prays that prayer, he says, uh, right in verse 13, I'm coming to you, new, you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have, what? The full measure of my joy. Joy. When someone is happy to be with us, when their face lights up, we're like, you! Jesus is saying, I'm offering this relationship for your joy, that God delights in you. This is why I say God likes us. He's moving toward us, and he's moving toward us to say, come on in. I'll make my home with you. We were wired for a relationship. There's a reason why you find these articles all the time in your newsfeed that say things like, you know, why are men dying in their 60s? Because they have no friends. And I'm not trying to minimize that. That's an that's a epidemic. But it also shows we're wired for relationships. Bad things happen when we isolate. I'm not recommending this movie, and I knew it would come out, but the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, it's fantastic. Again, I'm not recommending it. Don't watch it because you're going to watch it. You're like, quick. But the whole point of that movie is bad things happen when we isolate. It's a totally secular view on like you were made for a relationship. And we're like, how is that true? Because there's a triune God. And that triune God has come. He's written himself in the story. He says, I want to know you. I want to offer you oneness with me. Anyway, but that won't rewrite my narrative. That won't rewrite my soundtrack. My soundtrack's old. You talked about Blink-182. I got like Buffalo Springsteen in my soundtrack, man. I got like Chet Atkins. Like we're going way back. I've had this soundtrack for a long time. And this thing is not getting rewritten. That's why Jesus is called the Word. Because the Word, that communication, for the Greeks it also meant that soul. The soundtrack is not just a new message. It's a person. It's the very heart of God who comes to live with us. So how do we challenge that soundtrack? I think it starts, I mean, you just got to name it. We got to challenge our soundtrack. We got to challenge our soundtrack. If we go through our day and there's messages we are receiving and we're spending a lot of energy on it, so many of us don't even challenge that. Here's a way to challenge your soundtrack. Imagine the messages you say to yourself being said to your child, if you don't have a child, to your mom. All right, so what would that look like? Man, I really try to be a life-giving person with my friend. They're suffering, they're struggling. I tried to move toward them. They accused me of being controlling. I'm just a controlling mess. Imagine if your mom was saying that. Someone you really love, like, Mom, no. No, Mom, Mom, we, we can't live by the results, Mom. No, no, Mom, that's, that's just really harsh on yourself, Mom. Or, your, or your, your five-year-old son. Man, I tried to be life-giving, but I'm just no good. If, you, if someone you love is, is repeating your soundtrack back to you, and you go, whoa, it might be time to question that soundtrack. It's not serving you. You spend a lot of time on that soundtrack. It's okay to unplug the stereo. Question, God, is this your heart toward me? The whole like Trinity, deeply loved, joy, is that this happening right now? This doesn't feel like that. And sit with him. 
Jim Wilder, who's like a spiritual mentor of mine from afar, says, all it means to be a Christian is we grow in our love, we talk to Jesus about everything until we feel better, and we don't do anything out of fear, all right? So let's focus on point number two, right? Talk to Jesus about everything until we feel better. Jesus, I have cancer. It's not getting better. Do you hate me? And just wait. You know, there's this beautiful blending when we're one with God. Are our thoughts our thoughts? There is another living in me. Who? What, okay, I had this thought. All right, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you communicating? Challenge your soundtrack. There's another thing we got to do, and I got to be really careful. I'm not trying to be legalistic about this at all, okay? I'm not trying to be like, I just, I just sort of did not recommend, but just mentioned a movie that is, if you're going to watch it, you're like, ah, Pastor Craig. All right, so I'm not trying to be like, be careful what, garbage in, garbage out. I'm not trying to be that person. And yet, and yet, some of us, are supplying and motivating our soundtrack with things that are not serving our soundtrack. Okay, let me give you an example. Your news feed, okay? All right, I just want to just, I'm asking for an umbrella of grace for a second. News deceives us into thinking we're like well-informed, right, right? Hey, what do you read? I read The Atlantic. That means I know things. Oh, yeah? Well, I read Fox News because I like people to tell me like it is how it is. Okay? You're all uninformed, okay? You can't even find Paraguay on a map, okay? Let's just, find, let's just think for a second. Like, if you think, like, all oh, the news is helping me be an informed citizen, can you find Paraguay on a map? All right? And if not, let's just challenge what we're doing here a little bit. The news has a business model. What's the business model of the news? The more scared you are, the more you come back and check the news, which means the more ads they sell. So it is beneficial to scare you, Okay? Now, if you did something that constantly scares you, just my question for you is, is that serving you? And again, can you find Paraguay on a map? It, okay, some of you can. All right. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Is your feeder serving your soundtrack, or is it taking away from this soundtrack? That the oneness we have with God is who we are. I don't care if you're progressive as all get out and you think Bernie Sanders is conservative. I don't, think if you're, I don't care if you're conservative as all get out and you think Donald Trump is boring. I'm talking about what's feeding your narrative. What's feeding your story? What's feeding your soundtrack? Soundtracks can change. Jim Wilder told this story once. He was working after he finished his PhD at a camp for adults outside of Chicago. There were a lot of older adults at this camp. And so there were people there who were in uh, walkers and wheelchairs. And so there's a, lot, there's a line to get into the cafeteria uh, of people in walkers and wheelchairs. And there was one camper who didn't like lines. And so she ran full bore past all these people in walkers and wheelchairs and knocked a bunch of them over. All right, I've never run a camp, but I got to imagine that's not the experience we're going for. All right? And so this happened several days where she would just like blow by people, knock people over. And like it got to a point where like the camp staff would try to play. They, they would like yell at her like, stop, you need to stop. That's not how we're doing this. And she would just eat all her food before and run out. And so they would do things like they would try to play, like, remember, like, Red Rover, Red Rover, like, before insurance companies ruined youth group games? Like, do you remember? 
I'm just kidding. You should not play that game in a youth group. You will not play that in this youth group. Uh, but like, you know, you break your arm and all this. Thing. So like they're playing like Red Rover, Red Rover, and she just, boom, she's still able to get past. Jim Wilder is one of the kindest, most patient people I've ever met. But he's just like, man, we've had enough. And one day he tells people, just, she smelled. So they just grab her and throw her in the shower and just, and dump soap and like, you know, and then call it a day. And so they did that. And he said it was an awful experience. You just heard screams throughout the camp. And he's like, ah, oh, that might not have been great, but, you know, difficult person to love. And so Jim Wilder is, it meets this really cool guy at the camp, an older gentleman, who was dapper as all get out. He had a great suit. He had a great hat. And this is camp, all right? And so they're talking, and this man knows several languages from Hungary, older gentleman. And, and they're talking about music and all these concerts. And, and Jim Wilder's like, oh, my people, this is great. And so he's talking to this man, and as he's talking to this man, the woman runs by. And Wilder lets himself be vulnerable for a minute. And he's like, I just got to be honest with you. That lady has been a challenge all week. I mean, I just, and he told him the stories that I just told you. And the man said, I know, she can be challenging. She's my wife. And Wilder said, oh. oh. He said, yeah, we're Jewish. She used to be a concert pianist in Hungary. Then the camps. And she's never been the same. But I won't leave her. And I'll stay with her. Because when I look at her, I see my concert pianist. And in a moment, a soundtrack changed. You and I have something better than information. You and I have a person. When John says Jesus is the word, he's also saying Jesus is the soul. Jesus is the life that makes everything live. And he is uniting himself to you. That changes our soundtracks. I don't know what you think you are. I don't know who you think you are. But if you believe in Jesus, you are a dearly loved child of God. You're a joy to the Father. And the rest of our lives is working to convince the rest of us that that's true. Jesus. God, we can't do this without you. I don't want to preach without you. I don't want people to listen without you. And we're not. You're here. We've been united to you. God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. Every week, we hear from three different voices. We hear our own voice. We hear the voice of the preacher. God, today I pray your spirit's voice would be loud. God, we want to be a place where your spirit is just set free. God, we are saying you are wanted here. Please come. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.